You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. And we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. Hey, good morning, Grace Point Church Northwest. Pastor Travis here. It's great to be with you guys here this morning. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 4. Now, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, you can download the YouVersion app. Just click on Events and type in Grace Point Church Northwest and you can follow along there. Also, if this is your first time joining us this morning, I'd like to encourage you right now to pull out your phone and text the word WELCOME to 702-710-7411. That is, text the word WELCOME to 702-710-7411. Once you get that link, go ahead and fill it out. And as we live scattered throughout Northwest Las Vegas during this time, that'll help keep you in the know of all things going on at Grace Point Church Northwest. Now, if you are getting our emails and our text messages, you don't need to text that number. You just need to check your email. Sound good? All right, cool. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series of Lent called Dying to Live. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at some selected passages in the Bible while being challenged to die to some things in order to experience greater joy and peace in Jesus. And this morning, we are going to be challenged to die to panic so that we can experience greater peace in Jesus in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of uncertainty. So if you could, just follow along with me right now as our scripture is read. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Several years ago, my wife and I took a trip back to Kentucky. It was during the month of October, and we decided to do something that we always did when we were kids, and that was check out a haunted house. So my brother and some of our friends, we all got in a car, and we traveled over to a haunted house, and we were standing outside, and everything was going great. But then all of a sudden, we heard a boom in the sky, and immediately it started to pour down rain all over us. Jess and I ran over to a shelter. However, when I turned and looked over my shoulder, I saw my brother was still standing out in the rain. However, he wasn't just standing out in the rain. He was actually standing underneath a waterfall. You see, above him was a gutter that had broken right in the middle, right underneath where he was standing. All the water from the rain was coming down that roof and funneling into that area, pouring down on him like a waterfall. I remember for a few moments just crying out to my brother, telling him to come join us under the shelter, but he could not hear us. With that, he ended up sticking his hand outside the waterfall. He pulled it back in. He stuck his hand outside the waterfall and he pulled it back in. He stepped out of the waterfall and he said, hey guys, it's not raining as hard out here. Eventually, he ended up joining us under that shelter. You see, I can't help but to think that many of us can relate to that. One moment, all is well, and then in the next moment, we get a flash of hell. One minute, everything is fine, and then the next, there's a boom, and the weight of panic comes flooding into our soul. And isn't that how we felt this last week? You see, I don't need to tell you that you and I are living in a time of uncertainty. It seems like each day, the news is changing. We can be certain about something today and then totally question it tomorrow. 
And there are people who are not only dealing with this virus, but as this virus was impacting our country, I had friends in Tennessee who were enduring tornadoes. I know of people up in Utah that were going through earthquakes. You see, it's in moments like this that we find ourselves filled with great anxiety and panic. And some of us, if we're honest, over the past couple of weeks have asked these questions. Jesus, where are you? How could you let me go through this? Jesus, I thought you loved me. And thankfully, we're not the only ones who have been asking these questions. You see, in our text today, we're going to see that Jesus' own disciples ask him those very same questions. So if you got a Bible, look with me in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Here's what we read. On that day, when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Now, Mark tells us on that day, but what was that day? Well, I'll tell you, it was a very stressful and busy day in Jesus's life. You see, in Mark chapter three, we read that Jesus had just gotten done talking to the religious leaders. He got into an argument with them. Those religious leaders were accusing Jesus that he was demon possessed. But after that conversation, we see that Jesus immediately begins to find himself in a tense situation with his family members, right? And I can't help but to think that as you and I, as we're at home right now, it's kind of a comfort to know that Jesus knows what that's like. But after that, Jesus begins to teach and a huge crowd gathers around him, a crowd so big that they fill up the entire shore where he is standing. It actually forces Jesus to get off the shore and to go and sit down in a boat where he begins to teach them all day long. Now, when evening comes, Jesus looks at his disciples and he basically says this, guys, I don't want to go back to the shore. Rather, I want to cross the sea. And the text tells us that the disciples did what? They took Jesus with them just as he was. Think about that. Jesus had been teaching all day long. There was no time to shower. There's no time to change. There was no time to brush, your te- brush his teeth. And I don't know about you, but when I teach all day long, my wife wants me to take a shower because it's just not nice, right? It's stinky. But the text goes on and talk about how other boats were with them. And in a minute, we'll even see that Jesus was asleep on a cushion in the stern. Why all the details? Well, the details give credibility to the story. You see, if this was a legend or a myth, you wouldn't need all these things. They could be left out. Yet what they do is they provide us with an eyewitness account. That means that everything we are reading in this text right now is an eyewitness account from somebody who is in the boat with Jesus. Now, this is extremely important, especially to the original audience that Mark is writing this gospel to who are experiencing a big storm called persecution. During this time, it was believed that Nero was the emperor in Rome. And he wanted to basically redo or renovate a certain part of the city. However, when he couldn't get the government to buy in, he took matters into his own hands. And he started a fire over there and just basically burned it all up. But when his popularity rating started to go down, he needed a scapegoat. He needed somebody to blame. So what did Nero do? He blamed all the Christians. With that, a huge persecution took place where people were imprisoning and torturing Christians. During the gladiator games, Christians were actually thrown in and fed to lions. Not only that, but Nero was just so messed up, he would actually take Christians and pale them on poles and light them up for his garden parties. I don't know about you, but when I'm facing uncertainty and the panic is starting to set in, I want the details. I want to know Jesus is real and that he really did say and do the things that the Gospels record. You may say you don't care about the fact that Jesus was rushed. You may say you don't care about the fact that Jesus couldn't change or that he was asleep on a stern on a cushion. But I will tell you, I want the details because it tells me what is taking place actually happened. And it's a warm blanket to my soul. So what happened? Listen to verse 37. 
and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, some of you heard me tell this story before, but the first seven years of my life, I actually lived in Casper, Wyoming. My dad worked at a Ford dealership there in which they not only sold cars and trucks, but they also sold brand new boats. Well, one day they got in this brand new Baja boat and him and his boss decided to take it out onto Pathfinder Lake just to try it out. However, there was a problem. The gas gauge was broken. You see, the gas gauge read that it was full, but they would find out as they took the boat out on the lake, they ran out of gas. The gas gauge was broken. It wasn't reading uh, correctly. And as they were out there in that lake, a fierce storm came up to the point where my dad and his boss actually hunkered down into the bottom of this boat. And as they were being tossed to and fro and the whole thing, the boat got slammed up to a cliff to where my dad was able to get out, climb up that cliff, and eventually go get help and lead that help back to uh, the boat to where they could rescue his boss. The funny thing about the whole story is just a couple of years ago, my dad was on a snap-on truck in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And while on that truck, a bunch of the technicians got into a conversation about these two dummies that basically took a brand new boat out on Pathfinder Lake, ran out of gas, and totaled the boat. With that, my, you can imagine their surprise, because with that, my dad said, hey, I was one of those guys. And then he asked him, has nothing really happened in Wyoming in 20 plus years? You see, my father told me that was one of the scariest things he's ever experienced in his life. And I can tell you that this was one of the scariest storms that these disciples have ever experienced or ever faced. You see, we read in the text that it was a windstorm, but a more vivid description would be that of a hurricane. If you read in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew basically uses the words that this is a mega storm. The Sea of Galilee was about 685 feet below sea level. The surrounding mountains were anywhere from 2,200 to 5,200 feet high. As that cool mountain air would collide with that warm sea air, storms could and would appear out of nowhere. And we know that this is no ordinary storm these disciples uh, find themselves in because listen to how they react. Verse 38, But he, that is Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now Mark tells us that Jesus is what? He's asleep. Think about it. He had been teaching all day long and he is really, really tired. And you know he's really tired because what is he doing? He's taking a nap during a hurricane. But what you need to understand when we look at this text, Jesus is absolutely, fully, 100% God. But don't miss this. Jesus is also fully, 100% man. He is fully God in a human body. And I can't help but to assume that some of you watching this morning, tuning in right now, find yourself absolutely exhausted. You got the raging seas of this pandemic all around you, and you just find yourself just absolutely worn out. Perhaps the best thing you can do today is take a nap. Jesus did it. It's godly. It's okay. But don't miss what these disciples are going through. This storm is crazy. These guys are absolutely familiar with the sea. Most of them were fishermen. They would make their living on this sea. They were no strangers to choppy water. However, we realize that this is no ordinary storm by the way they react. In verse 40, we see that these disciples were what? They're afraid. Now, this isn't them being afraid like afraid of the dark, but rather what the term is implying here is that this is a panic-inducing fear. You got to put yourself in their situation. Here they are. They're in this boat. The waves are coming in. They're crashing in. They're paling out the water as fast as they possibly can. 
They look around and it seems like the more water they get out, the more water comes in. They look at each other and they begin to question, hey, are we going to make this out of this? Some of them are probably thinking, I'm not going to be able to say goodbye to my mom or my dad. Some of them may have said, hey, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to see my kids like grow up. I'm not going to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle. You can imagine their, their pain and their panic as they're just trying to keep themselves alive. And to their great dis- disappointment, what happens? They look in the stern and who is asleep? Jesus. And don't miss this. Whose idea was it to even cross the sea to begin with? It's Jesus. You see, the text that tells us that they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Literally, the text implies, do you not care that we are being destroyed? That we are dying right now? And how many of you this past week have asked a similar question? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, where are you? How could you let us go through this? I thought you loved us. Think about the early church, the first Christians reading this gospel as their friends and their family members are being murdered for the, because they love Jesus. Just think of the questions they are asking. And what you've got to understand is that the Bible is not immune to these types of questions. We read in the Psalms, especially in like Psalm chapter 10, what does the psalmist say there? God, why are you hiding yourself from me? There is trouble all around. Where are you? Other Psalms talk about God. It just feels like God is asleep, right? And they're just crying out to God, God, please wake up. When I was a kid and we were in church, we would, I would listen to some of the people in the, the gathering, in the church service, sing Psalm 42. And it's basically talking about a deer that pants for water. And they would sing it all like solemn and calm, like as the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And I remember reading that text later, thinking back to that moment, going, they just, just grossly misunderstood the context. What is David saying in Psalm 42? He's basically saying, if Bambi doesn't get water in this barren wilderness, what's going to happen to Bambi? Bambi's going to die. And it's as if David is sitting there going, in the same way, my soul pants for God as that deer is panting for the water. He's saying, God, if you don't show up right now, I'm as good as dead. You see, oftentimes we think these questions are what the world is asking, what people outside the church are asking. But don't miss what is going on here. The Bible records God's very people asking the same questions. It's okay. You see, the disciples were panicked, but Jesus wasn't. Why is that? Look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I mean, I absolutely love this. Here's Jesus asleep on a cushion. He wakes up. He might have stretched. He might got those crusty things out of his eyes. I don't even know what those really are. He looks around at the rain and the chaos, and he basically just says this, sit down, be quiet, and stay quiet. It's almost as if Jesus is talking to a little child and putting them in timeout. I can't tell you how many times this week I had to get on my kids. Our home has basically become, our home has basically become a homeschool center, Right? I mean, each one of my children are around their, my kitchen table. And as I'm in my office trying to work on stuff, I'll hear one of them cry out, hey, she's looking at me. Or, hey, I need the computer. Or, or hey, she's just making that up to get me in trouble, right? And when that happens, I will yell out to them and try to get them to calm down. Or I'll tell them to go to their room. But when they don't listen, I call on a higher power. Who is that? I call on the interim principal. I call on the interim teacher. And I call in the interim most gorgeous lunch lady I've ever seen in my life, my wife. 
And I say, Jess, I need your help. And she comes in and helps. You see, Jesus wakes up from this restful sleep and he does not ask for help, does he? He doesn't call on a higher power. He doesn't pull out a magic wand and say expelliarmus or whatever. Rather, he speaks with authority and the raging sea becomes like glass. Now, I think uh, you and I need to try to experience this a little bit. You see, right now, I know we've got some kids watching. And what we are going to do right now is make a storm. And so I need a little bit of help. And so Pastor John is going to help me. And he's right there. And so what I want you guys to do is just follow along with me. We're going to make a storm. But when you hear me say, one, two, three, stop, I just want you to stop what you're doing. Sound good? You guys with me? You with me? I'm, I'm, I'm with you. All right, let's go. Ready? Everybody go like this. All right, you can start to hear the winds picking up. Now we need a little bit of rain, don't we? Yeah. So let's just start to snap our fingers if you can. Just go like this. Good job. So now it's starting to pick up. Very good job. I'm glad you can snap. Now I need you to start to go like this right here. Starting to get heavier. Starting to pour. You ready? Now slap your thighs. There you go. All right, get ready. We're going to clap our hands and we're going to do it really loud. Ready, set, go. Start clapping. Louder, louder, louder. Ready? One, two, three, stop. That's what it was like. Good job, John. Well done. See ya. Bye. <laughs> so that's exactly what it was like. There they are. They're out on the, on the boat. They're in the sea and everything is just chaos. Jesus stands up and he says literally just two words. He says, peace, be quiet, sit down. Or oh, that was three words, but he literally says, just be quiet. And that's what happens. It, it goes calm. It's like glass. With that, Jesus doesn't want his disciples to miss what is happening. So listen to what it says in verses 40 through 41. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, guys, where's your faith? Are you trusting in these waves? Are you trusting in this boat? Are you trusting in this wind? Or are you trusting in me? The disciples have seen Jesus do some amazing things. They have seen him teach with authority. They've seen him heal people, but they've never seen Jesus do anything like this. These young Jewish men would have been familiar with Psalm 107. Read along with me. Here's what it says. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Man, you see, the disciples knew this. The disciples knew this. They knew that this verse was talking about God, and only God and God alone could control the seas. They were afraid of the storm, but now they're even more afraid of the guy who's what? In the boat with them. They're filled with a holy, reverent fear, if you will. Why? Because in the boat is a God who not only controls a storm, but a God who led them through the storm and showed them more of his power and glory through it all. You see, not all storms are a result of disobedience. Sometimes there are storms that are a result of obedience. The disciples did nothing wrong, but don't miss this. God teaches us when it's calm, but God also teaches us in the midst of the storm. I think it was C.S. Lewis who once wrote this, We can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. 
God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So what is Mark 4 shouting at us? It's shouting this. During this time, you and I aren't alone in the boat. You and I are not alone in this world. God has not left us alone. You see, the antidote to our fear is what? Faith. All-filled faith. Faith in God. Think about this. The disciples question Jesus' care. And little do they know what you and I know now. And what is that? That Jesus would not only take on a storm, but he would take on the only storm that could truly wipe us out. A storm that is more powerful, if you will, than a tornado. A storm that is more powerful than an earthquake and a storm that is even more powerful than a virus. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life in obedience to God for you. And then Jesus went and he died on a cross, not just for you, but instead of you because of our sin and our rebellion against him. But also Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? But he rose from the grave. He conquered the storm of death, if you will. And he walked out of that grave, giving us the confident assurance that no matter what befalls us in this life, it will not win. You see, in that truth, panic moves to peace. Why? You and I do not know what the future holds, but we do know the one who holds the future. And we may not know why we're going through this right now, but we do know what this does not mean. It does not mean God does not love us. Why? Because of the cross. The cross is an emphatic declaration that God loves us. And the same Jesus who stilled the storm is with you right now in that room. Trust in him. You see, this distress is not meant to push you and I away, but rather it's meant to draw us closer to Jesus. When I was dating my wife, Jess, uh, I got one day off during my first job. And so I decided on that day off, we would take a trip up to Kings Island. Now I had planned that we were going to ride a roller coaster called the Beast. Now the Beast was a big wooden roller coaster. And if you've ever been on a wooden roller coaster, you know, it's kind of distressing. However, when you get to the end of that ride, the roller coaster starts to go in circles really, really fast. And if there are two people in a seat, right, two people in a cart, what ends up happening as they go around and around and around? Eventually, they start to move closer to each other, right? And I remember as we were going through that roller coaster, I was looking forward to those turns. Why? Because in the midst of that distress, what was going to happen? My wife was going to just, or she was my girlfriend at that time, but my wife was going to start to move closer to me. In the same way, could it be that is what God is doing for you and me right now? Yes, it is distressing. Yes, it is chaotic. Yes, there is a time, it feels like a time for panic. But here's the thing you need to understand. God has come to give us peace because he is the Lord of the storm. And in the midst of the storm, we can trust his heart. We may not know why this is happening, but we do know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. Why? Because he is the Lord of the storm and he took out the only storm that could truly wipe us out. Let me pray for you guys. 